Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor Gillian Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Well tonight, I want to I speak about letting go and I believe that this is a principle to live by. This is a skill to live by, the art of letting go. And you know, Jesus showed us this as a way of life. Jesus modeled letting go from the very minute that he came to earth, when he let go of heaven. He let go of everything that heaven contained. He let go of the angels' worship. He let go of his ability to walk into the throne room and be surrounded with worship. He let go of all the riches imaginable. He was the ultimate rich young ruler who let go of heaven. So when he comes to the young ruler on earth and he says, you've got to let some things go, he'd already done it. He'd already done it. See, God the Father showed us the art of letting go because he let go of his son, Jesus Christ. And at the end of this service, I'm going to ask you if you would consider letting go of your life because it's only in the letting go that you actually save your soul. It's only in the surrender that you find yourself. But, you know, we have to learn that this life is better if we let it go of it rather than hold on to it. We must learn that our future is full of potential if we let things go. Life is full of joy if we let things go. There is a burden to carry all through life, whether we let go of things or not. But I believe that we will avoid a difficult and arduous journey if we learn to let go when God says it's time to let go. You know, the greatest uh, pain in our lives can be holding on to things when God's already said, let it go. I want to share a, a funny story, and hopefully if this embarrasses you or offends you, you'll be able to let it go. Okay, so I was thinking, you know, I can't just start, you know, I had a whole amazing introduction about running the race and why we have to let things go, but I've actually thrown that out and decided that we actually just need to have a little bit of fun for a moment, and then I'll give you the meaty stuff. Is that Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, when uh, John and I were just newly married, at about the age of 20, and you know, you're newly married and you have, let's just say, your wedding body, okay? And uh, we're on the beach, my mum snapped some pics. And there we were on the beach, beautifully tanned, bikini clad, I was, John was in his, in his bathers, you know, what do you call them? Togs. <laughs> he, he doesn't like Speedos. They're like undies, so no, no Speedos. <laughs> Hopefully you don't wear those except at the swimming pool when you swim lengths, just helping those who need to be prepared for a New Zealand summer. Okay, <laughs> we prefer board shorts. That's the word I was looking for, thank you. So we had this very nice picture snapped by my mother, and we were at mum's house perhaps about three years later, and flicking through the family albums as one does on a you know, a relaxed afternoon when you're chilling with the fam and you're just like, oh, let's re revisit the past. And along comes this photo of us at the beach. Of course, John's eyes light up. He's like, oh, hubba hubba, ding ding, look at the legs on that little thing. And he's like, to my mum, he's like, can I keep this photo of Gillian? Can I, can I keep, I need this photo, you know. <laughs> and my mum's like, oh, sure, sure, sure. I've got the negatives, you can keep it. Because my mum is a contrast to me. She is super organized. She is completely organized. She has everything filed, people, okay? I wish I could be like my mum. Sadly, if you were to see the exterior of my house, it looks organized, but open a cupboard and you'll see the real me, okay? 
So my mum's organised, she says, yes, John, you can have the photo. So he cherishes this lovely photo. He takes it home and he puts it beside his bed, on his bedside table. Okay, that's fine. It's just like there. And um, a few months later, this photo just disappears. I don't think anything about it. I'm not conscious this photo has disappeared. And, you know, time goes by and about... Perhaps a year later, we've had a spring clean, and at that stage, John decided we needed to give all of our books, all of our library, because he'd collected so many books, to the church office. So all our books went to the church office, which was fabulous, piles of books. And uh, one day, one day, a person on staff, in the church staff, comes up to me and says, oh, very bashfully, I might add, not quite sure where to look, I might add, and says, oh, um, 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 I think that John would really like this book back. <laughs> and hands me, couldn't hand it to John, no, that would be too much, hands me the book, I'm like perplexed, oh, thanks, yeah, yeah, you know, like, oh, we were just leaving them in the office, they're like, um, um, no, you need to take this one home. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. So I flick through the book, and lo and behold, I'm like, what was there, some markings? Did, you know, because John writes and everything. He's like, writes down little thoughts everywhere. Was this like really amazing thoughts? And they're like, he should be preaching from this book, you know. Lo and behold, out pops the bikini photo. Oh! <laughs> I think my color went like red. <laughs> I was like, okay, yes, thank you, thank you. I'll take it home. You see, that was my first mistake. I should have let it go right there, ripped into tiny, teeny, insy little bits of paper that would be destroyed forever. But no, vanity, vanity. I wanted to keep the photo for John. <laughs> so there we are. The photo gets transported home, gets back, put back in pride of, pride of place beside his bed. Okay, lo and behold, a few months pass. The photo disappears. I think nothing of this. You know, it just disappeared. I, of course, I've forgotten about the photo. Perhaps another year passes, or maybe it was two. Who could say? Time passes in a flash these days. And then one night, we have a knock at the door. And a great friend of ours had come to the door saying, oh, I just wanted to return that DVD series that I borrowed from you, The West Wing, because my husband loves The West Wing. I wanted to return this DVD series Oh, and uh, by the way, there's a photo in there that John may have been missing. <laughs> I am like, are you kidding me? <laughs> he hands us back the DVD with the nice bikini photo right there, smack bang in the index with the, like, you know, the guide to the episodes. There I am. Oh, my gosh. Sad to say, mistake number two was... Now, I have no idea where the photo has gone. Oh, dear. <laughs> but I'm sure it won't turn up in the church office anytime soon. <laughs> Shock horror. But there are things in our lives, yeah, that sometimes it's just time to let them go. It's time to move on. It's time to say enough is enough. Let it go. And my friends, I want to I share tonight some, some people in the Bible that needed to let things go. And sometimes people learned that they could do this and move forward, and others did not. 
And you know, it's a perilous thing if we hold on when God says, let go. Tonight, if there's one thing that you remember that I say tonight, it would be learn to let go. When God says it's time, my friends, it's time. Why don't you turn with me tonight to the book of Ruth, or it's going to come up on the screen, and I'm reading from the message version tonight. Book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 3. Let's learn to let things go. I'm going to read from you, to you the story of Naomi. Elimelech died, and Naomi was left, she and her two sons. The sons took Moabite wives. The name of the first was Orpah, the second Ruth. They lived there in Moab for the next 10 years. But then the two brothers, Marlon and Kilion, died. Sounds like the Klingons. Now, the woman was left without either her young men or her husband. One day, she got herself together, she and her two daughters-in-law, to leave the country of Moab and set out for home. She had heard that God had been pleased to visit his people and give them food. And so she started out from the place she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law with her, on the road back to the land of Judah. After a short while on the road, Naomi told her two daughters-in-law, go back, go home and live with your mothers, and may God treat you as graciously as you have treated your deceased husbands and me. May God give each of you a new home and a new husband." She kissed them, and they cried openly. They said, no, we're going on with you to your people. But Naomi was firm. Go back, my dear daughters. Why would you come with me? Go down to verse 17. Sorry, verse 14. Again, they cried openly. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth embraced her and held on. Naomi said, look. Your sister-in-law is going back home to live with her own people and gods. Go with her. But Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me, God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. See, here we see that Ruth had to make a decision. She had to make a decision to go with Naomi or to go back to what she knew. The first point tonight is that Ruth had to let go of what she knew. Sometimes trusting in God involves trusting in what he knows more than trusting in what we know. You see, Ruth had to let go of her family she had to let go of everything that was comfortable. She'd grown up in Moab. She knew her way around Moab. She was familiar with people in Moab. She was like down with it in Moab. She knew the people to go to get the cheap deals on Friday. She knew that on Wednesday that, you know, that have rice this cheap here. She knew where things went down in Moab. She knew that if things weren't going well, she would have family and relatives that would not let her starve. She was going to be taken care of in Moab. She had her parents in Moab. She had everything that she had ever known in Moab. But she makes a decision, your God will be my God. She chooses to let go of what she knows and venture out into the great unknown. You see, sometimes God comes to us and he says, will you go? 
where your faith is without borders? Will you step out and go beyond what you know today? See, our knowledge is so limited sometimes because God is so vast. You know, in this room tonight, if we were to take the collective knowledge and wisdom of every person in this room, we would not even begin to have perhaps one grain of sand on the beach of the shores of this world compared to the knowledge that God contains. You see, our knowledge is so limited, but sometimes we cling to it like it's the only thing that matters. We have to understand that God's knowledge is greater. He has seen the end. He has seen the end of our days. He has seen the end of the days of this world. So why would we not trust Him? We have to learn to let go when He says it's time to let go. You see, Ruth here was willing to take a risk. Destiny knocks on her door, and she goes through it. My friend, if destiny knocked on your door tonight, would you walk on through? Would you trust in God? Would you let go of the familiar to go into the unknown? You see, Ruth here in this passage of Scripture is compared with another woman, and her name is Orpah. We see that there are two people who are compared, and one steps out and let's go of the familiar. Let's go of what they've known. And one cannot do it. One goes back to a life that's safe and a life that's secure. You know, the Bible does not condemn Orpah. There is nothing in this passage that says she's a bad person or failed to meet God in the future. But what it does do is show us what happens with Ruth. You see, what happens is Ruth not only steps through the door of destiny, but she enters the pages of history in such a life-defining way. You know, for all of us in this room right now, we might look at the, the greats in the Bible. We might look at Noah who built an ark. We might look at Moses who led the people out of Israel. We might look at Esther who entered before the king and saved her people. We might look at Peter who walked on water. We might look at these stories and these lives and these people and think, what does that matter to me? I'm just an ordinary person. I'm going to my nine-to-five job. I'm doing an ordinary life. I live in New Zealand, in Wellington, New Zealand, and I'm an ordinary person. You know what? Ruth was exceptionally ordinary. Ruth was incredibly ordinary. She was a stranger to God's plan and purpose. She was called an alien or a foreigner. She was a Moabitess. She wasn't even part of God's original plan right at the start. She was a stranger and an alien. She was a woman. She was penniless. She was a widow. She was nobody with nothing living out a very ordinary existence, my friends. And we might feel like her today, like we are just living this ordinary existence. How can we be used by God? Why would this message relate to you, my friends? Because God shows us that in the pages of the great, very ordinary people capture his attention and do extraordinary things when they choose to follow after God, to cling to God, to forfeit worthless idols and cling to God, to go where he would have them go. They don't become ordinary. They become exceptional. See, Ruth carves out her part in history. She goes on to marry Boaz. I love the Bible. It says it just so happened. It 
just so happened that she ended up in the field of the one of the men who could marry her, who could redeem her. It just so happened. The coincidences of God align with us when we choose to let go and walk in His purpose. See, I believe that God works coincidentally more than we realize when our lives are lining up with His plan and His purpose and His will for us, not living our will, but living His will. It just so happened that destiny knocks on her door in the name of a hunk by the name of Boaz. That's right. That's right. As Ben mentioned, there's been a lot of engagements lately. You know, one of the keys to finding the person that God has for you is letting go of trying to find them yourself. God brought Eve to Adam. God will bring the right person in your life. Don't go out looking and perhaps for some hunting. Just relax. Love is on the way. (laughs) But it just so happened that Boaz came along. And we see that Ruth marries Boaz. They have a son whose name is Obed. Obed has a son whose name is Jesse. Jesse has a son whose name is David. Hello, a man after God's own heart. David, who wrote like half the Psalms, who wrote, has quoted more than 400 times in the New Testament. This ordinary person had a very extraordinary life. And then we see that David is actually in the lineage of grace. He is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. My friends, when we make a decision to go beyond what we know, to step out, to let go, God can cause us to be a history maker. She discovered the joy of letting go, of taking hold of what God had for her. You see, in Philippians 3, Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. But what happens when you take hold of something? You have to let go of something else. To take hold, you have to let go. If you want to take hold of what God has, you have to let go of what you're holding on to. You've got to let go to take hold. And God, He wants to take hold of you. He wants to take our ordinary lives and turn them into something beautiful, something that shines His grace and glory, something that represents His love and the manifold wisdom of Christ upon the earth to those who are perishing. Ruth lets go of self-reliance. She lets go of safety. And she steps out. Are there risk takers in the room tonight? Are there people who are willing to let go, to go from the known to the unknown, from personal security and self-reliance to depending on God? Letting go is a commitment as well to grow personally. You know, we only mature and grow when there is change. If we're not being asked to change, we're not growing. See, when God asks us to let go, He's asking us, to grow, to mature, to become more like Christ. Ruth committed to letting go and she moved forward and she gained a great future. The second person tonight who had to learn to let go was Lot's wife. Lot's wife, Lot from from Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife had to learn to let go of what she valued. Of what she valued. I want to read tonight from Genesis chapter 19 and verse 14. It says, Lot went out. You'll have heard the story, I'm sure, of Sodom and Gomorrah, the city that gets destroyed by God. You might say to me tonight, Gillian, you're preaching about a God of love, but how could God destroy a city? How could God just simply destroy a city? Well, my friends, if God is love, then God must be just. God must be just. Our God is a just God. The Bible says that He loves mercy, and the foundation of His throne is justice. 
We have to trust God that he is just. Let's get to the story. Lot went out and warned the fiancés of his daughters. We've got a few of those here tonight. Evacuate this place. God is about to destroy the city. But his daughter's would-be husbands treated it as a joke. At break of day, the angels pushed Lot to get going. Hurry, get your wife and two daughters out of here before it's too late. And you're caught in the punishment of the city. You know, does God need to push you tonight? Does God need to push you into the next season because you're lingering too long in your old season? Is God actually there tonight pushing you and saying, hurry up, because your ears are deaf to what the Spirit of God is saying in your life? Let's not be like Lot, amen? Lot was dragging his feet. Seriously, Lot, what's wrong with you? Do you want to die? The men grabbed Lot's arms and the arms of his wife and daughters. God was so merciful to them and dragged them to safety outside the city. When they had them outside, Lot was told, now run for your life. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere on the plain. Run for the hills or you'll be swept away. But Lot protested, oh, no, masters, you you can't mean it. I, I know you've taken a liking to me and have done me an immense favor in saving my life, but I can't run for the mountains. Who knows what terrible thing might happen to me in the mountains and leave me for dead. Look over there. That town is close enough to get to. It's a small town, hardly anything to it. Let me escape there and save my life. It's a mere wide place in the road. What is wrong with this guy? He is being saved from like sulfur, brimstone, fire. The city is being destroyed. The city is going up in flames and he is having imaginary breakdowns over imaginary problems. God is saving his life and he's worried about what will happen to him in the mountains. Do you think sometimes we're a little bit like that as well? Where God has been dragging us, pulling us, saving us, showing us the way to go and we're all worked up about imaginary problems that haven't even happened yet. And are not going to happen because God just saved us out of that. You see, we've been redeemed. We've been saved out of death into life. We've been raised up into new life in Christ. Not for a new trauma, not for a new problem, but for a joyful life of freedom and triumph. Lot has not got this picture sewn up. They take him to small town. And the sun was high in the sky when Lot arrived at Zor. The sun was high in the sky when Lot arrived at Zor. You could turn that into a rhyme. It's like he had taken his sweet old time to get moving. He had been dragged. He had been pulled. He had been pushed. And it was high, the sun high in the sky when he finally made it there. My friends, tonight... Are we going to take our sweet old time when God's telling us to get a move on? Are we going to take our time to go where God says go? Are we going to let go when God says or be dragged there in our sweet old time? You see, then God rained brimstone and fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah, a river of lava from God out of the sky, and destroyed these cities and the entire plain and everyone who lived in the cities and everything that grew from the ground. 
But Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. Why? Because Lot's wife couldn't let go of what she valued. You see, these angels, they're dragging them. They're pushing them. They're showing them the way to life. And they're holding and holding back. Let's not hold back when God comes to our lives and says, let go of what you value. See, Lot's wife, she loved her life. She liked her home. Perhaps she liked her fur rug. Perhaps she'd just simply redecorated and got those new lamps installed. Perhaps she'd just polished the floors and, you know, tweaked the window panes and she'd just got it just right, just that week when it was time to go. And she was reluctant and she couldn't let go. You see, here we see that the Hebrew word for looked back, it's not just a mere glance. She didn't just glance over her shoulder. I actually believe that God might have been gracious enough to give her that. Doesn't say she just had a quick look back. Says that she looked back. What this means is it means she was regarding it. She was considering it. She was paying attention to it. You see, she couldn't let go of it. Perhaps she dies as she looks back because she valued her old life too much to let it go. Or perhaps she was holding on to it so much, she identified with it so much in life that she had to identify with it in death. See, what we hold to, what we won't let go of, can have a grip on us. Are there things that we value more than Jesus? Are there things that we cling to more than Him? Jonah had a revelation in the belly of a whale, and he said that scripture Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Lot's wife, she forfeited the grace. God's grace was there for her to lead her out. And she forfeited it because she clung to what did not matter. She clung to the past. She clung to the old. She clung to things that God did not value, but she had placed value on them. You know, when we fail to let go when God tells us to, it will create a death in our lives. Perhaps also it will create dysfunction in those around us. See, when Lot's wife died, it left a huge gap in her family. The daughters were left without a mother. The father was left without a wife. And if you read on, you discover a great measure of dysfunction in shoes in that family because one person didn't let go when God said it was time. We have to let go when God says, you know, holding on when God says to go limits the futures of others. I'm sure that God must get so frustrated when we're not letting go and God says, it's time, it's time. I mean, God was so frustrated with Moses. Moses must have frustrated God no end because there's Moses in front of the burning bush saying, but I can't speak. God's saying, go to Pharaoh. And he's like, but I can't speak. It's like, are you kidding? You were raised in the courts of Pharaoh, Moses. You were raised with the most influential people of your day. He would have had the best education that the world had to offer. He would have had the best learning, the best instruction. If you think about speech training, as a son of Pharaoh, he would have had it all. And there he is. I can't speak. No, of course you can. But you know what? So often we won't let go because we doubt 
what God has placed on the inside of us. Don't let your ability to receive the Word of God limit you from letting go when God says it's time to go. Don't let doubt limit what God is calling you into. Don't let doubts about what God has placed on the inside of you hold you back from stepping into your destiny. When destiny knocks on your door, would you say, yes, now is the time. Now is the time, and it's time to let go and move into what God has. Maybe it's to be a life group leader next year. Maybe it's time. Maybe you've been doubting the fact that you could do this. Maybe you think, I'm not a leader. My friend, you don't get to decide that. Once you become a Christian, you become a leader because you're leading the way to truth. You're leading the way to salvation. You're leading the way to the Word of life. If you've become a Christian right there, you already are a leader. Don't decide who you are. Don't define who you are. Allow God to tell you who you are and who you can become when you live in His purpose and let go of who you are. You know, we have to learn to assess our hearts. Do we value what Christ values? And will we let go when He says let go? You know, uh, many years ago now, John and I went on a trip to Europe. And one of the places that gripped our hearts and was very challenging to go through was the city of Pompeii. And as we went and walked through Pompeii, you grieve because you see it's like a tomb. And these people have been trapped as the, the fire and the brimstone caught them wherever they were, and they're petrified on the spot. And you have these bodies that were reconstructed out of the holes left behind where their body burned away. They literally just poured concrete into the holes as they were excavating and reshaped the bodies right where they were. So you see them in contorted poses, clearly in a state of torture. But a man called Clovis Chappell tells a story about a woman whose body was excavated while they were excavating Pompeii. And this woman, her feet were turned towards the city gate. And out towards the city gate was hope that she would survive. Out towards the city gate was the potential that she would escape this, this uh, volcano's eruption, that she would get out to safety. Her feet were turned that way, but her head was turned this way. And as she was looking back, she was looking back to a bag of pearls that were lying there just a few inches from her grasp. Now, we don't know whether the bag of pearls were hers that she dropped in haste or whether somebody already fleeing out the city gates had dropped them before her. But this woman, she couldn't let go. When the moment came, she couldn't let go. Her greed captivated her heart and she was reaching out frozen forever in a grasp of trying to take that which she should have let go of. You see, life was beckoning, but death held her grip. Sometimes in this day and age, in this modern day and age, in this luxury that we live in, we can think that everything we've got, that we've been blessed with by God, that it's all okay. But my friends, don't let things become a trap for the soul. Don't let things so trap our soul that we think we're content with them. There is only one pearl of great price. There is only one thing worth living for. It's not a pay rise. It's not a bigger house. It's not a better car. It's not a greater wardrobe. It's not more jewelry. It's none of those things because none of those things will fulfill. None of those things can save our life. Don't let the trap of valuing the things of this world, the greed of this life, which is deceptive, so hold us that we can't let go and go where God says.
You know, I sometimes think about the fact that God blessed us so much that we never bought a house in Auckland. Because I wonder, you know, I, I, I'll tell, I think I've told the story sometimes, but we tried to buy about eight homes in Auckland. We had the deposit. We had the bank approval. We would even offer people what they were asking. Can you believe that? We were offering the asking price, and then it was, no, we want more. It was a crazy time. But I often look back at that and just think, God just guided our steps. Because would, would I have let go if I'd got the home that I'd been dreaming of? Would I have let go when God said go? Sometimes God saves us from ourselves, yeah? But my friends, don't let the things that we value so hold us back. You know, the third thing tonight is that Abraham had to let go of his future. Abraham had to let go of his future. There's a man, the father of faith, who has been dreaming for a hundred years, dreaming and believing that God had promised him his son, and then he finally he realizes the dream, and he holds this child in his arms. He watches this child grow. My friends, we might think sometimes that God asks us to let go of scary things. Abraham got asked to let go of his son, but not just his son, the, the miracle son, the promised son, the one that he had held faith for for a hundred years. Not just any child. My friends, we've, some people in this room have believed God to conceive after 10 years, and they have. Praise God. Imagine holding that faith for 100 years, and then God tests your faith by asking you to let go of your dream, to give it up, to surrender it. When God comes to Abraham, he's not being an awful God. He's not saying, I want your son to die. Abraham had the faith that if, if he had to kill his son, God would raise him up. Abraham did not believe in a death kind of God, but in a life-giving God. But what Abraham, what God had to do with Abraham was test his heart. Abraham, I've given you your greatest desire, but will you still let it go? Will you still let it go? My friends, sometimes we have the desire of our hearts, the dream in our lives, and God says, let it go. And we're like, but God, this is the fulfillment of the promise. This is the dream. But will you let it go when God says, and Abraham is tested, and he passes the test. You see, I think he's called the father of faith for one great reason, which is that he was willing to say yes when God asked him. He was willing to let go. God says, kill the dream. Sacrifice the dream. Let it go. And he did. And he did. And God used him so powerfully. But then in his life, when he let go, he saw the ram caught in the thicket. In life, we have to let go before we see the ram. God's provision is on the other side of letting go. Maybe you look at people and you see them being blessed and you think, God is not blessing my life. Well, my friend, have you let go? Have you sowed seed? Have you actually given not just in tithes but in offerings? Because we have to let go because on the other side of letting go is God's provision. On the other side of letting go is the floodgates of heaven being open, <laughs> not before, after. God's provision is always on the other side. The fourth and last thing tonight is that we have to let go in tragedy. You know, sometimes in life things come and they affect us and our soul can get muddied. Things in life can hold us back. Things can be difficult. Things cannot go as we expected. We can be holding on to disappointment. We can be holding on to tragedy. 
You know, I know that tragedy, loss, grief, the loss of loved ones, these things are very difficult. And God gives us an amazing mechanism to grieve, a process to work these things through, to work through loss, to work through difficulty. We don't have to rush through it. But my friend, at some point in our grief, we have to be willing to let people go. We have to be willing to let God turn our mourning into dancing. At some point in the journey, we have to turn bitterness into forgiveness. We have to turn tragedy into triumph because Jesus Christ did that for us. And if we don't receive what he's done, we're not living in the grace that he has. You see, sometimes tragedy happens, but we're holding on and limiting God. There was a missionary whose name was William Carey in India, and his dream was to have a print shop that just printed all these Indian translation Bibles. His dream and his life's work was to print these Bibles and send them out in Indian languages. He had worked for years, years and years in this print shop, and he had labored away and produced many, many templates and many, many, um, you know, dictionaries of languages, polyglot dictionaries and the like. And he was laboring away for God for many, many years in India. It was hard work. It was laborious work. He poured his life into it. It was his life's work, hours of labor. One day, he gets a message come to him and says, William, Mr. William, the print shop burnt down last night. All of his life's work, gone up in smoke. He said, years of my life, gone in a moment. But then he said this. He wrote back to home and he said, the loss is heavy, but as traveling the road the second time is usually done with greater ease and certainty than the first time, so I trust the work will lose nothing of real value. We are not discouraged. Indeed, the work is already begun again in every language. We are cast down, but not in despair. How amazing is that? Resilience of spirit. You see, years of his work, years of his labor. But then he said, we're cast down, but we are not in despair. If that kind of thing happened to us, would we just kill over? with disappointment? Would defeat overcome us? Is there resilience in your spirit to let go when things don't go the way we expect? When people have let us down? When things have been disappointing? When tragedy has come? When offenses and hurts have come? Are we willing to let go of the bitterness and walk in the freedom that Christ has for us? You see, it's a sweetness that comes. If the band can come and join me, it would be great. But there's a sweetness that comes when we let go of those things. And what's amazing about this story is that news of the fire reached England, and when people heard what had happened, years of his life up in smoke, they not only rallied and sent volunteers, hundreds of volunteers came, they also rallied and sent thousands of pounds, British pounds, over to India. And that print shop was not only rebuilt, it was enlarged. And the work was advanced at such a rate that it achieved more than it could have been dreamed of achieving. You see, sometimes we go through the fire, but if we have a resilience of spirit, if we hold to faith, then God takes us out the other side. See, we've got to let go tonight of what we know. We've got to let go of what we value. We've got to let go of tragedy. We've got to let go of our plan and our future, just like Abraham had to. We've got to let go of our dreams and our promises. 
and allow God to say, it's time. It's time. Some people in this room, you're in the old season. Step into the new season. Some of us are living in an old grace. That grace has dried up, my friend. You're no longer grace to do that. Live in the next season that God has. What's God calling you into? Can you hear His voice speaking to you? Some people in this room, perhaps a tragedy has been keeping you bound up. You've been arguing with God, but God, why did you let this happen? You don't understand the purposes of God. My friends, no, we don't understand the purpose of God. But we do know that when we trust in Him, He'll bring joy in every circumstance. And that while there is a fire, He takes us out through the fire and our clothes do not smell like smoke. If we look to Him, He's with us in the fire. Others, you're holding to a hurt. Somebody hurt you. My friend, let it go. There's been a betrayal. Jesus knows what it is to be betrayed by one He loved. He knows what it is to be let down by one that broke bread with Him, that was intimate with Him. You know, the people in our lives, they can let us down, but it's us that have to let it go. We have to let it go. I really believe that the Spirit of God is here tonight and that there are some people here who are saying, I need to let go. You know, hurts will come, offenses will come, betrayals will come. But how do we respond? Are we harboring those things in our heart? Do we play it over in our minds? Is it eating us up on the inside or are we free? Are we free in Jesus? Free from those things that would eat away at our life? Are we free from those things that would make us bitter? You know, and John and I, we discovered that we had a leaky house and we're like, oh my gosh, you know, what are we gonna do? There was a, a test, I believe. Were we going to be bitter? Bitter at the architect, bitter at the city council, bitter at the people that built it, bitter at the political party that said, use this wood. You know, there's a test. You have to let it go. Let it go. Stand to your feet tonight in this place. I believe there are people here. And God says it's time to let it go. I'm going to move into your purpose for me, God. Would you declare that tonight? I'm going to move into your purpose for my life, God. You've got great things ahead. There are great things ahead. There are better days ahead. The old is gone and the new has come. God, you're moving me forward. It's out of the old season. I'm not graced to be there anymore. I'm graced to live in the new season and the freedom that's found in Jesus Christ in this place tonight. When Jesus went to the cross, He took every betrayal, every offence, every bitterness, every hurt, my friend, every tragedy He bore upon the cross. So why are you still carrying it? You don't need to. Let it go. You don't need to carry it. Why do you feel weary? Why do you feel burdened? Why do you feel the pain of existence? My friends, we're not called to live in pain. We're called to live in victory. We're called to live in joy. We're called to live in the life of Jesus Christ. Let it overflow like a river overflowing. Tonight, some people are gonna be set free tonight. You've been holding on. You've been holding on to some things. Let them go. Some people in this room, your career, material things, 
they're clouding your judgment. My friend, that's not what we're here for. We're not here for a successful career. Oh, hello, am I talking to somebody tonight? We're not here to bring home a salary. We're here to live for Jesus Christ. We're here as aliens and strangers on this earth. We know that we've got a greater home, a heavenly home, that Jesus is real, that He's calling us to live for His eternal purpose, not a temporal kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And you know what? If Jesus could let go of all the wonder and splendour of heaven for us, I believe that we need to let go of it for Him. Let it go, don't let it be. You can't serve both God and money, yeah? Can't serve both God and money, let it go. Don't let it dictate your life any longer, my friend. We don't serve the God of mammon, we serve the God of life in this place. There are others tonight. I believe that freedom is in this house. We're gonna sing that in the name of Jesus, every chain would break, but I want you tonight. You know what God has been speaking to your heart about. What do you need to let go of tonight? What do you need to let go of? Maybe it's something that happened in the past that you're living in. You think that defines who you are? No, my friend, the Word of God defines who you are. Let go of the past. Let go of the pain of your experience. Let go of the tragedy. Let go of the bitterness. Come on, let's sing and let it go. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Gillian Cameron, go to arisechurch.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at Gillian Cameron and at Arise Church.